Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Floor is rising. I am Sabertooth, and with me is Kizu. I'm a professional NFT collector, and Kizu is a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. So if you are a creator or collector of NFTs, or you want to be, jump in. The water's warm. The next artist we want to talk about, who is a very uh, well-known name in generative art, Matt Delaurier. And, you know, he's an artist I've chosen specifically because he has sort of done generative art drops on the two most popular platforms of generative art right now. One, we've already talked about art drops. Uh, and the second one is on Hick at Nunk, or Hen, as it's more popularly called. And his art blocks drop is called Subscapes. Floor price right now is around 7.5 ETH. But what's interesting about that is that he's he's done generative drops prior to his art blocks drop on Hick at Nunk. But he also dropped a sort of like a companion piece to subscapes. So using the same algorithm, but tweaked in a way where it was a it was an animation instead of a still and in a very different color scheme. And it was dropped on Piquet Nunk uh, as a multi-edition piece. And I thought it was, it, you know, it was very, very interesting that he did a drop on art blocks and then he did a companion drop using the same sort of algorithm, but but most likely uh, coded it uh, in, a, in a different way on a, on a slightly different platform. And I haven't really seen this before because right now in the NFT space, you know, artists, even if they are using multi-platform kind of career progression, they try to segment sort of each platform, dropping certain types of art in one platform and, uh, and doing something in another platform. But so I've never actually seen this where an artist would, would sort of choose to drop on two platforms sort of concurrently uh, in the same, using the same sort of algorithm, but not really competing with each other, but more as sort of like a companion piece. I, I just thought it was very interesting. And what Matt has done, I think, is to very knowingly kind of like segment <laughs> uh, his output because he knows that, you know, obviously he could probably produce a similar diversity or variety, but that he has, in terms of visual output, he's kind of like chopped up his, his works into series, easily identifiable series, and put different series on different platforms. I'm sure, obviously, he's clearest on the reasons for that. I think that what the, the advantage of that is that the audience can then kind of it sticks easier with the audience because you go to OpenSea and you see one kind of thing, you see the subscapes and those are like landscapes, right? And then you go to Hick and Nunk and you have very different style of work that's, well, I wouldn't say different, actually. There's a few different styles represented on, on Hen, but that he has basically used the variety of platforms available to his advantage because then it gives him multiple channels. It gives him a way to kind of brand the output that's available on each of these platforms by the same artist in a different way, right? So you have like, oh, okay, if you like this kind of work, then all of, all of that is available on, on Hick and Nunk. And if you like the more like subscapes type of landscape work, then all of that's on OpenSea. 
I think that seems to me to be a strategic move. Well, what do you think, Sabretooth? Did you think that, you know, this was um, a strategic move? As a, as a collector, did you see that this is something that helps you to appreciate what Matt has done and potentially get you interested in his work? I think Matt represents, and I think other coders have represented, is developers who've come into crypto not primarily being a believer in, in I guess, the underlying sort of cryptography base, right? So there's a, there's a lot of devs who are going to crypto very early on, you know, people who got into Bitcoin, people who got into Ethereum, all the various L2s, who are primarily there as a believer in the in the promise of, of that technology. But I think that in the NFT space, there are developers, uh, of which Matt is one, and there are a lot, um, who, who got into it being sort of platform agnostic or being more accurately chain agnostic. If you look at most developers in the crypto space, they are very opinionated in terms of which chain they want to operate on. And you see that in, in NFTs as, as well, that you know, you'll have developers who will only be willing to work on Tezos or who'll only be willing to work in Ethereum or Cardano or whatever, it might seem actually trivial to, to people who are not in the sort of development space. But actually, I think this is a this is a pretty unique thing and a very recent phenomenon that that you have sort of developers who are willing to sort of use their their coding skills across different platforms. Because most developers in crypto, even right now, are very very tribal and uh, maximalist in crypto terms. What what makes developers non-chain agnostic mm -hmm. are have mostly to do with the kind of aesthetic choices available to them, or is it more about kind of characteristics you know unique to a chain that pertain to say the minting process or more of the economics of it, or is it more about you know what do you think are the top of the mind concerns for the artists that you know choose to work or not work on a particular platform or chain? Well, I think as crypto becomes more mature, a lot of the lower level concerns start getting abstracted away, right? So, you know, when, when a technology is immature, in order to do, do anything on a particular platform, you basically need to have a full stack understanding of you know, of that platform. Otherwise, you could be, you won't be able to successfully do anything, right? But as the space becomes more mature and tooling develops on the lower levels, you have developers who can actually do stuff without, you know, having to understand, you know, the entire stack. They can just use tools that other people have built. Increasingly, that's going to be the case. That that all these all these low-level abstractions will take place, and people will just use it like any other um, API. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Boys Rising. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. <laughs>